Hello and welcome to this episode of the Complete Interpreter podcast by me, Sophie Llewellyn-Smith, or you may know me as the Interpreting Coach online and on social media. Why the Complete Interpreter? Because you are more than just an interpreting machine or a translation machine. And so I bring you all things interpreting skills, mindset, language, and at some point perhaps some marketing. Today, I am responding to a request by Julia. Julia says this, could you give us some tips on how to deal with slow speakers? Triple exclamation mark. Contrary to what many people would believe, these tend to be the hardest in simultaneous. I've noticed this trend among Australians and New Zealanders in particular. My theory is they might be asked by other English native speakers to slow down. Otherwise, they would need the interpreter as well. <laughs> Thank you, Julia, for that suggestion. I was amused by the way that you described it. Yes, I think in interpreter training, we spend an awful lot of time discussing how to deal with very fast speakers because there are huge cognitive issues in dealing with a speaker who is reading things out or listing tons of facts and figures, who's going extremely fast. So that is definitely something that is discussed, uh, that trainers talk about with their students and that those of us who are conference interpreters struggle with on a daily basis or nearly daily. But it is true that sometimes you will come across a speaker who is very slow or appears very slow. And there are all sorts of problems with that. I did a little bit of research for this podcast. And one of the things that I was looking at was the advice that is given to public speakers in general, but also when they're working with interpreters. And uniformly, with no exceptions, the advice was to slow down. When the advice was written by interpreters, it was more like, don't go too fast, speak at a normal pace. But the generic information about public speaking that was aimed at, let's say, business people, or that was not written by interpreters, as far as I could see, said, slow down, slow down. And I, I even read stuff that said things like, speak as slowly and deeply as possible. And I was trying to imagine interpreting someone who's speaking as slowly as possible. And I know that it would drive me absolutely mad. What can you do if you have a speaker who is very slow? Well, it does cause problems. It causes problems above all because you don't know where the speaker's going. If they launch into a sentence, but that sentence is really slow and they're thinking as they go along, you don't know where they're going and it makes it difficult for you as an interpreter to structure sentences that sound okay. And the risks are that you will lose track of your sentences. So perhaps then you'll lose track of grammar, particularly in a B language. Maybe your subject and your verb won't agree the way they should. Or you may sound really boring and monotonous because you're sort of interpreting piece by piece. You, you lose track of the big picture and you're then unable to shape the material with your voice to have the kind of music that would be expected in your B language. Or you might have some really long pauses, which could be disturbing for the audience. It could be disturbing for your relay takers, or it might stress you out 
I quite often have coaching clients who, who are terrified of leaving any pauses at all in their output because they worry that the client will think that they're missing information out. Those are the risks then when you're dealing with a slow speaker. I had to think about what you could do or perhaps what I do when I have a slow speaker. Not that I always have the solutions to everything, but sometimes reflecting on my approach to particular interpreting challenges can give me a nice starting point to see if I can give you some advice. And in a way, some of the advice I'm going to give you is the direct opposite of the advice that I've given in my podcast episode about being concise in simultaneous. Because fairly logically, if you're dealing with a really slow speaker, what you're trying to do is be less concise and be as explicit and as complete as you can be without making information up, without sacrificing uh, your delivery either. So there are some fairly simple things that you can do and tricks that you can use. Some of the tricks would be, for example, to use some fillers judiciously to avoid very long pauses. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that you should start peppering your speech with, you know, I mean, or actually, or any fillers like that, and especially not lots of ums and uhs. Occasionally, though, you might slip in an extra ladies and gentlemen, or maybe more useful than the idea of fillers is the idea of sometimes repeating a point that's just been made, but maybe paraphrasing it a little or adding a little bit of information that you didn't fit in in the previous sentence. So instead of saying things in one go and getting straight to the point in a really concise way, uh, drip feed it a little bit more so that it takes you longer and it fills up some of the gaps. Other tricks? Hmm. Well, fundamentally, if you've got so much more time because your speaker is so much slower, slow down your pace take your time. You've also got more thinking time with a slower speaker, so you can think about how to phrase things, perhaps in a way that's a bit more complete or a bit wordier than you would normally go for. And one example of that is that you can be a bit more expansive in some of the phrases that you choose to use. If you were dealing with a fast speaker, you want to say the shortest version of the idea. But with a small, uh, with a small speaker, <laughs> with a slow speaker, you can choose the longest version. I will give you an example of that. In, in a minute, I'm going to attach to this podcast recording a recording of me interpreting from French into English. And the speaker is called Bertrand Badi. He's an expert in international relations. He speaks relatively slowly and he really weighs his words. I jumped into interpreting him at a lecture with no preparation. So please do not think that this is a brilliant version of what he did, because it's not. For example, he quoted de Gaulle and I didn't do a great job of that quote. So there are things in here that I dislike, and I'm certainly not presenting it as a perfect version. 
But the reason I'm putting it in this podcast is because I think it's important for me to experiment to see if what I'm telling you actually works in practice. And one of the things I did in this piece that I was interpreting was to be more explicit. So, for example, at one point he talks about economic and military structures, something like that. Des structures économiques, militaires, and I can't remember the third one. And instead of just saying that in a concise way, I said, whether they be economic in nature or military in nature or whatever the third point was, in nature. So I expanded that and I repeated words that are unnecessary, really. And if it was a fast simultaneous, I would never have done that. But it allowed me to fill in the time so that the flow of my simultaneous was steadier. You can also use intonation or emphasis to make sure that you don't sound monotonous and to make sure that the audience doesn't lose track of what you're trying to say because you're building a really long sentence and they can't remember the beginning. So use intonation and emphasis. You may choose to use rhetorical questions that are not there in the original. I think I did that in this piece. I think I said something like, what are the implications of this term or something like that when the speaker hadn't said that explicitly? And again, it's a way of putting in a little bit of padding, but without talking nonsense or without saying nothing. Now, you may disagree with me, of course, in which case, feel free to get in touch at info at theinterpretingcoach.com. Perhaps you think it's a bad idea to introduce any kind of padding or take longer over saying things than you need to. But my feeling is that if you're being super concise, then you're probably going to leave really long gaps. So it becomes a question of weighing up what you want your output to sound like. And can I please reiterate that I'm not suggesting that you invent anything or add any kind of nonsense or irritating fillers endlessly, because we're still trying to give the audience a good product at the end of the day. And so I want to finish with uh, a couple of points that I think are more important, really, and they are to do with technique, I guess. First of all, try to anticipate what the speaker is going to say. Make good use of your background knowledge to try to guess and anticipate where they're going, because that will help you to shape your sentences to, to keep track of the big picture. And sometimes it will help you with my next tip, which will sound counterintuitive, but I think it's really important. And that is to use salami technique, even with a slow speaker. Now, you may be thinking, hang on a minute, salami technique is a coping strategy for when you have a really fast, dense speaker and you then break up their long and rapid sentences into shorter bits that you connect with open syntax. And it allows you to deal with that massive information that's building up in your brain and giving you co cognitive overload. So you might be thinking, with a slow speaker, I don't need to do that because I've got time to think. So why should I do salami technique? And essentially, it's to try to avoid embarking on very long sentences when you don't know where they're going and where they're not going to finish in a hurry because your speaker is slow. So to try to avoid potential pitfalls, <laughs> places where you get stuck in your interpretation or avoid 
really long sentences that you begin and you start putting in relative clauses or digressions because that's what the speaker's doing. But you never get to the end of the sentence because your speaker has also forgotten how they began. See if you can use salami technique. And whenever you have a unit of meaning, turn it into an independent utterance. And because you've got time, you can make it into quite a complete independent standalone utterance. And that way you're smoothing out the rhythm of the original uh, as well as avoiding getting lost in digressions. So don't be a parrot when you are working with a slow speaker. Those are my tips. I'd love to hear your feedback on that, whether that's what you do when you have a slow speaker. If you want to, you can now listen to my interpretation of um, Bertrand Badi, and I will put in the show notes the link to the, the conference that I was interpreting from so that you can have a go if you like if you have French in your combination. The last thing I want to say is that if you're not in a big conference at, let's say, an international institution working in the booth in simultaneous, and the reason I say that is because in that situation, you really have no control. You can't suddenly interrupt what you're doing, go into the meeting room and ask the speaker to speed up. That's impossible. But there are other situations where you can do that. For example, if you're on a mission, Maybe you're working closely with a group of people or an individual in consecutive or in simultaneous uh, with a tour guide system. So you're standing near the speaker. You may well be able to gesture to the speaker to, to make the point to them that, yes, they can speak at a more normal rhythm and you are able to keep up with them. Or indeed, you may be able to do a bit of education, as it were, before the meeting or on, on the day of the meeting or if it's a multi-day meeting, you can have a word in the afternoon and say, you really don't have to slow down to make allowances for the interpreters. We're able to keep up with a natural speaking rhythm. So there's also that possibility which may, uh, may help you get the message across to the speakers that you don't want them to race ahead and go like the clappers, but you also don't want them to speak unnaturally slowly. If you don't have French in your combination, that's the end of today's podcast. Hope to see you some other time. If you do have French in your combination, the best thing to do now would be to press pause, go to the show notes, follow the link to Bertrand Badi's contribution at the conference, have a go at interpreting it, and then maybe come back and listen to my version and compare the two. Let me know how it goes. Why not send me an email at info at theinterpretingcoach.com. And the rest of this episode now is my interpretation of Bertrand Badi for about five minutes and then the outro. Do I need a microphone? Yes. All right, then. Right. I've been told I need to press a button somewhere. There aren't actually that many buttons to press on here. Oh, okay, I see. That's where it was. Well, first of all, many thanks. You've already heard a lot of thanks, which is perfectly normal. 
so many of you have made the effort to come along this evening. And that's very touching. You'll see I'm a very sensitive sort of person. So I want to thank you for your presence, which appeals to that sensitive side of me. But I'm also really delighted to see you here because what is a lecture really? It's a person speaking. I'm not even going to dare to say for how long, but above all, it's somebody who listens, who receives, who reacts. Someone who reacts to questions and that's food for thought. It's an opportunity to prepare the content of your next book. So I think those are really interesting interactions and very human interactions. That humanity is going to be my starting point. I'm reaching the end of my career. I wouldn't dare to emulate de Gaulle by repeating his quote about the eternal cold, but I'm reaching the end of my career. I'm not at the beginning. And this one point that's really important to me, it is that reification of international relations. It's people looking at international relations as being an object, whereas we are all subjects when it comes to international relations. Now, there is one term that I dislike that I push back against, although I am open to dialogue, and that is the word geopolitics. What are the implications of that term geopolitics? It gives us the impression that our fate is predetermined by the map of the world. Our fate is predetermined by big structures, whether they be of an economic, geological, geographical nature, or of a military nature. It gives the impression that we are dependent on this key notion of traditional international relations. And that concept is one of a power struggle. Or as we used to say when I was younger, not that long ago, the balance of terror. But there is something that I have found very surprising in my 40-year career as an analyst of international relations, and that is that might or power has virtually never won since 1945. It's never come out the winner. Now, usually in contemporary international relations, when there's a conflict, the result is a goalless draw or penalties. But when someone emerges as a victor, usually it is the weaker party. That is something that we have not given enough thought to. And if we're surprised to see the failure of power, it's because we forget that humans are there behind everything in international relations at every step. It's you, it is I who are, <clears throat> who are shaping international relations. And so when there's talk of this determinism in geopolitical terms, who is it that's interpreting geopolitics? 
it is humans. How can geopolitics exist because of the human mind which interprets it? Let's play a little game. Imagine that it's not Vladimir Putin in the Kremlin, but Mikhail Gorbachev. Do you think that the conflict between Russia and Ukraine would have happened in the way that it hasn't? Probably not. I don't like to rewrite history, but I think there's a strong probability that events would not have unfolded as they currently are. And what does that mean? It means it is human mediation or social mediation that plays a primary role. And that is something that when international relations are being analyzed, is not taken into account sufficiently. I hope this episode has given you a few useful tips for dealing with slow speakers. I'd love to hear from you. And of course, you can fill in the form, which is in the show notes, which asks you what you would like me to talk about next. Speak to you soon.